This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Osea. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's designed to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code SUMMER. The new film, Past Lives, might sound like a love triangle. It's about a woman living in New York with her husband who meets up again with a man she knew and loved long ago as a girl in South Korea. But rather than a story about a woman choosing between two possible partners, it's really a study of how she tries to understand both the path she took and the many paths she didn't. The movie is from first-time writer-director Celine Song, and already it's a festival favorite. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about Past Lives on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It's called Protein Degradation. And if you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. This approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is Regina Kim. She's a freelance writer focusing on Korean pop culture and AAPI issues. Welcome back to the show, Regina. Thanks for having me again. And also with us is film critic and writer Carlos Aguilar. Carlos, it's always good to see you. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. Past Lives is the first feature from writer-director Celine Song, who's worked as a playwright for years and wrote the film based on some of her own experiences. In it, Greta Lee plays Nora, a New York writer who moved from Seoul to Canada when she was 12, leaving behind a childhood sweetheart, Hey Song. He's played as an adult by Tao Yu. 
Years later, in their early 20s, Nora and Haesong reconnect through the wonders of the internet, and for a while, it seems like maybe a romance will reignite. But distance and logistics make it impossible. They lose touch. And by the time Haesong comes to New York for a visit another 12 years later, Nora is married to a white playwright named Arthur, played by John Magaro. The reunion between Nora and Haesong is emotional for her and for both of these men, and all three of them end up thinking about all the ways that things could have turned out differently. Past Lives is in theaters now. Carlos, not to spoil your response, but I have seen you talk a little bit about how much you like this film and how moving it was. Can you tell me about what you like so much about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, more than a love story for me, I always kind of interpret the film from you know, an immigrant lens. And I think that's one that's very specific that, you know, relates, you know, very personally to my own Celine song and the character, you know, that's sort of inspired by her life in the film migrated to Canada when she was 12. I migrated to the U.S. around the same time from Mexico. And I feel like it's a very particular sort of experience in the sense that you're young enough that you're still sort of molded by another context and you learn a new language and you sort of like become uh, in a way Americanized or whatnot. But at the same time, you live, you know, enough years in your home country that you have strong memories of, of that place, of the people that experience and sort of that unique perspective on the immigrant experience was something that just really made me think of my own. And, you know, and, and like you mentioned, you think about all the what ifs, the, you know, if you had stayed, if you, the person you would be, the the person you become, and sort of the different paths that, that sort of life has taken you on. And I've rarely seen that experience. I think that the immigrant experience is often, you know, an adult who moved to another country, you know, sort of like to give a better opportunity to their family or yeah, a person who, you know, doesn't remember where they're from and migrated very young. And so I think that what uh, Celine Song is doing in this film is really engaging with, with a unique sort of vision of what that is um, and memory and, you know, the contradictions of, of all these things that the film encompasses. Yeah, I think that's all very well said. Regina, what did you think? Yeah, so um, I liked it as well. And I will say that I actually saw the film twice because the first time that I saw it, I was having a very uh, busy morning and I was feeling very stressed and distracted that day. There were a lot of things that I realized later on, like when I watched it the second time around, that I had missed the first time. Because this is a movie that's very, you know, subtle and nuanced. And so it's really easy to miss a lot of things that are going on in the film if you're not paying enough attention. But, you know, that said, like the first time that I saw the movie, like even though I was kind of distracted, um, it still made me cry during some of the scenes. Like I felt like the dialogue in particular was just so powerful, so moving. I mean, Celine Song did a brilliant job in terms of like crafting some of the lines that were um, set in the movie. The second time that I saw the movie, um, I was just like, you know, fully focused on it. And it just really made me appreciate how Celine Song like crafted this entire film from beginning to end. You know, like if you watch the same film, like more than once, you know, sometimes like you you might feel a bit bored or, you know, some of the parts can feel very repetitive or trite. But because I felt like so much of the dialogue that's spoken in the movie felt very fresh and uh, thought provoking, I actually enjoyed the film a lot more the second time that I saw it. That said, I did feel like the ending was a bit abrupt and kind of like left me wanting a bit more. Um, but then again, you know, I feel like perhaps for a movie like this one that's supposed to be understated, um, maybe that ending is appropriate for this kind of movie. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things that impresses me so much about this is that it is her debut as a film director. I mean, I agree so much with everything that Carla said about the way that the film gets into kind of the loss that Nora experienced because of everything that she left behind when she when she moved the first time and the second time, right? When she came to Canada, when she came to New York. I also just think Celine Song's visual acuity in telling this story is so impressive. And it's not, I mean, playwrights, people who work in theater also work with composition and use of space and light and things like that. But to me, there are a couple of shots in this film. You know, there's one that you see fairly early on that's echoed late in the film where Nora, as a young person, is walking up a set of stairs and Song is walking up a kind of a hill. The geometry and the colors of the shot are such that it just knocks me over the minute that I see it. And there are a few shots in this film like that where just I wanted to just sit and look at the shot. I told somebody later, I can't wait for somebody to sit down with like a telestrator and draw on a picture of that shot and explain to me what is so effective about the way it's composed because it's just absolutely gorgeous. There's also some wonderful use. You know, when she and Song first meet, they meet in the park. The way that the depth of field, the background is kind of obliterated so that they're just kind of floating in space almost because you can't really see anything except the two of them. There are these touches that are very specifically about film technique that I very much appreciated in what is a very, you know, as as you were saying, Regina, kind of a talky movie. And it's easy to miss sort of how meticulous it is and how detailed it is because you can receive it also as a really nice execution of sort of a bunch of people having conversations with each other, which it also is, you know, a, a whole bunch of the middle section is people talking on Skype, which is so hard to make interesting. And yet I think in this film, it is really interesting. I wanted to ask you too, Regina, there's an idea in this film, they talk about this concept of Inyun, which is the idea that people have connections over time. And I think the easy read of that is that it, it's some sort of soulmate thing. But you were talking about some conversations you had about how that's not really how people think about that idea. It's kind of a more subtle idea than that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say that, you know, while the word inyan, uh, which is discussed throughout the movie, um, definitely exists in Korea. I mean, people uh, use the word all the time. Um, usually when they use it, they uh, use it to refer to like people that you encounter in your everyday life, like all these um, connections that you make with people um, every day. And some are, might argue that, you know, that's due to fate. So that's kind of like where the notion of fate comes in. But I felt like the way that the film explored this concept of inyan was from a very Buddhist perspective. Mm. For example, there's like one line that says something about like how if two people marry, like that means they've had 8,000 layers of inyan over 8,000 lifetimes or something like that. And that was my first time hearing about such a thing. Mm. Afterwards, like, you know, I, I just like randomly asked some of my Korean friends and relatives. I didn't mention, you know, anything about the movie, but I was like, oh, by the way, like, have you ever heard of this saying? And like, they all told me that, you know, they had never heard of such a thing. The 8,000 layers part. I mean, there are definitely Koreans who are aware of that. Yes, there are many Buddhist elements that are very much ingrained into Korean society to 
today. Nowadays, like, you know, most Koreans are either agnostic or atheist or they're Christian. And so, you know, they might not be aware of, you know, all these Buddhist beliefs surrounding, you know, certain concepts like inyan. You know, most Koreans just kind of like loosely, like use the word inyan in a very loose sense. Like they just kind of like throw the term around. Kind of like how I think a lot of Americans use the word fate. Like, oh, this must be fate. Or like, it's fate that brought us together, right? Right, right, It's like that. So all that to say that like, you know, I think it's wonderful how this film like you know does such a great job in terms of exploring this this concept this notion of inyan like it does such a beautiful job with that but you know that said like i don't think you know people should think that like oh like all koreans know this and this is how koreans think about inyan don't try to use that line if you're trying to seduce any koreans <laughs> like when when he mentioned that in the movie i was like really <laughs> yeah yeah Carlos, I'm curious what you thought about the performances in this film, because I really, really loved Greta Lee and John Magaro and Tao Yu. I just thought these three central performances, which carry essentially the entire movie, were so impressive. I agree. And I think that what really works for me is the, the sense that they're all communicating in a way that feels like the drama is realistic in the world or in film we we're used to sort of like seeing a love triangle in a way that you know the two males or the two you know competing forces are sort of like fighting for the love of this person or sort of like you know making a case for you know who should be picked and you know the person in question deciding or choosing and i think that what celine song does in this film really you know really well is sort of like not having a villain not sort of like you know blaming anyone from for this situation and sort of exploring the thorny kind of uh you know not so tidy things about their emotions and that are you know not easy sort of to solve i think the movie is not so much about her you know even considering you know a life with her song but mourning the loss of what he represents which is you know the girl that she once was the life that she once had quite literally a past life you know and so he comes to her present to sort of bring all this baggage back into into her purview and so it is up to her to sort of like let it go and in that sense let that part of us all go and so i think that greta lee and and the actors really work in that space of being subtle and being sort of truthful and sincere about emotions without the need for any big displays of conflict and, you know, arguments or whatnot. It's really honest sort of depiction of perhaps what, you know, most of us are used to not saying or not engaging with. And in terms of, I just wanted to mention, in terms of the Indian, I think there's a scene late in the film in which, you know, Arthur and Nora are in, you know, in, in their home. And he's talking about how he feels that, you know, the, the marriage that they have could have happened with anyone. That's where the concept of Indian feels more interesting to me in the sense that if it's all been planned for so many lives and we don't have a, you know, free will in deciding who we love, is it that special? And I think he questions that whether is it special at all if if this sort of uh, outside forces had a hand in putting us together. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the film then turns around and really questions that because I think the film's position winds up being you make your choices and there are things that you keep and things that you lose. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting how like the movie um, really like focused on, I mean, it is titled Past Lives. So this whole concept of like, you know, reincarnation and oh, like, you know, what might have happened in our past life? uh, What might happen in a future life? But, you know, for me, like I'm a Christian and, you know, I don't believe in reincarnation. And so what helped me connect 
more with the movie was to kind of think of everything as like how, for example, like how Nora's life might have been different had she chosen to stay in Korea and continue meeting with uh, Haesung. So basically, as uh, Carlos alluded to earlier, you know, all these what if scenarios, like all these hypothetical scenarios, like more so than like, you know, anything that might have like happened in a past life. Like that's just, you know, my perspective personally. Right, right, right. I think that the the past life to me in the film is sort of metaphorical in the sense that within this one life, Mm -hmm. we sort of go through all these transitions and each of them is a past life. Our childhood is, you know, a past life. And in the character's story or in Celine's story, it is sort of like even more mark where that line is because she went to another country, changed her name. And, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think for all of us, you know, the the chapters in our life, the transitions, even a break from someone else, moving to a different city, you know, the sort of, you know, transformations that that we go through in this one life to me is what perhaps the film is referring to as as past lives uh, in a more sort of metaphorical sense. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't in the movie, but, you know, when I was reading uh, the press notes, like, I thought it was very interesting how the director, Celine Song, was comparing this feeling of, you know, losing a part of yourself, like, as you leave certain things or people or places behind. Like, how she uh, compared that feeling to being like a donut. (laughs) I mean, it seems like a random analogy, but, like, I I loved it so much. And I think that, at least for me, was, like, one of the best things about... uh, uh, this movie, like keeping kind of like that analogy in mind as a, like watching the movie, leaving something behind creates a little hole inside of you. Um, so, you know, she said like, you're essentially a donut. And she says like, that's the shape that her husband fell in love with. And then like years later, the donut hole like comes flying back to her. You know, in her case, it's her childhood sweetheart from Korea and um, all the memories that, you know, were associated with her past that she left behind in Korea. So, and then I think there's like a line in the movie I believe it was said by um, Nora's mom about like how if you lose something, you also gain something in the process. So I thought that was very powerful as well. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this film was that it reminded me a little bit of Brooklyn, which is the Saoirse Ronan film where she plays a woman who immigrates from Ireland to Brooklyn. It's also a, a film where there are two partners who are kind of potentially part of her life. What I really loved about that movie when I saw it was that it had this kind of, to me, very adult sense that it's possible to look at your life and say, I could probably go in either of these directions and they might both be happy lives, but I'm only going to get to take one of these potential two paths. And it was fascinating to me to realize that they had this same note of, I think, emotional maturity about that same point, you know, leaving and winding up, you know, with a life that on the one hand is a happy life, but on the other hand, being acutely aware of the potential life and the pieces of your life that you now don't get to do. Because I think the times in this film where I think Nora's marriage seems the most loving are the times when her husband is the most accepting of and comfortable with the fact that she has missed certain things she might have had in her life by making the life she has with him. Mm -hmm. And so often, I think, as Carlos was saying, you get the kind of jealousy love triangle where it's like, pick me over this other thing. And I think the vision of love in this film is quite different from what you sometimes see, which is that being loving is sometimes not needing your 
ending with somebody to be the only possible ending they could ever have had. Yeah, and I think that she loves them both in different ways. And they each, you know, provide something for her that the other cannot. There's a moment in the film in which, you know, Arthur, the American husband, talks about, you know, how she she talks in Korean in her sleep. And that to me was so powerful because, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, that's happened to me, you know, dreaming in Spanish or dreaming myself and in, in back in Mexico or whatnot, where you realize that no one can fully know you. And I think this is true of any person. But when part of you is quite literally in another country, in a different language, in a completely different context, they do feel like silos, you know, and it's a silo that Arthur cannot, you know, even if he learns Korean, he will never be able to fully understand it. And on the other hand, his song He's never migrated. He lives a quote-unquote ordinary life in Korea. So as much as he loves the version of her that he remembers, he will never be able to fully know who she is now. And so I think that talks about this fluidity of identity. You know, she mentions that she feels at once more Korean and less Korean when she's hanging out with Hae Song because, you know, he reminds her of, you know, of Korea, but at the same time reminds her of... Mm -hmm how Americanized he's become living in Canada and, and in the United States. And so I think that that fluidity of identity, the sort of lack of rigidness of who we are is is something beautiful and is something sort of uh, devastating. Uh, at the end, uh, the both times that I've seen this film has really, you know, impacted me and made me cry and just like in a, in a way that I didn't think it would the second time, you know, because I mean, I knew what was going to happen. But yeah, I love that specificity about the identity that she's getting at here. Yeah. And like, I would say, you know, like one of the things that I think really makes this movie work is that all three main characters, Nora, Arthur, and Hesong, like they all behave like mature, you know, rational adults throughout the movie. Um, You don't see their tempers flaring. Like you don't see them, you know, getting into fights. Like I feel like they each, you know, try to understand where the other is coming from. You know, Nora says that, you know, she's not going to leave her husband for Hesong. And it seems Hesong knows that too. Um, so I think like because you have all these main characters, you know, acting very rationally, the movie is able to, you know, go beyond just a simple love triangle. And um, it's able to explore heavier themes around identity and fate and whatnot. And I think it also works because, you know, Nora knows very much who she is. Like she knows that she herself has changed and evolved over the years. And she's, you know, able to uh, separate the past from the present. Like, Hesong is someone she loved in the past. I mean, she still loves him, but um, as Carlos mentioned, in a different way. And Nora understands that, you know, the person that she's meant to be with in this present life is the person that she is with now, which is Arthur. So I think, like, the movie um, does a fantastic job of, like, exploring these, like, complex relationship dynamics, which I think oftentimes is what we see in real life. Yeah. Everything about the movie, I felt you know, was very authentic and very real, uh, probably largely because much of the movie is based on uh, Celine Song's own story. So I feel like, you know, she had a very clear vision of what she wanted the movie to be. And I think it worked. It worked for a lot of audiences. I think it resonated with so many viewers of the film, regardless of whether or not they were of Korean descent. There's a, almost like a throwaway moment uh, in this film that I wanted to bring attention to. And it's it's a moment in which, you know, uh, basically Arthur, the white American husband, realizes that he's never visited the Statue of Liberty. And his song and, and Nora have just gone on a, on a ferry trip to see it. And to <laughs> me, that's sort of like a statement of how his son's presence even sort of like allowed her to see a different side 
of the city that she lives in just because, you know, he's a tourist. And so his perspective on even this place is different. And so that memory of going to see the Statue of Liberty now belongs to her and his song and not Arthur, even though Arthur is like a local, you know, who's sort of like to him visiting something like that. It's so passe and, you know, not interesting. Even a moment like that feels like so, you know, put in there with a lot of intention. And I think that 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 are just there to sort of like, really put into perspective uh you know how this the presence of her song uh can even allow her to see this city that she lives in in a different light yeah i agree and i think this is another moment the moment with the statue of liberty where i just was so impressed by her technique as a director because you know the iconography of the statue of liberty is so heavy-handed almost without anything being added to it, particularly in a story about immigrants. I hugely admired how she got a really meaningful, emotionally rich cinematic sequence out of the Statue of Liberty, which I think is really difficult because it's one of those things where it brings so much baggage that making it feel emotionally alive can be quite difficult. And I think that really stuck with me. I thought, I just, it's beautiful. I loved that scene also. Well, as you can tell, we all uh, were fans of this movie. And as I mentioned, it is now in theaters. I definitely recommend that you seek it out. We want to know what you think about past lives. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Regina Kim, Carlos Aguilar, thank you so much for being here, you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, you'd like to show your support and you'd like to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode is produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzoff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news. Some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts.